This is our um, <clears throat> final day, I think, of uh, our series on sharing, on sharing the good news. We've been uh, working through this since January, and um, I think for the time being, I've probably, I'm reaching the point where I've said what I can say about this. Uh, I'm sure we'll revisit uh, this theme and this idea again. Um, last week we talked about the uh, kind of the Great Commission, that sending out that all of the, the gospel accounts uh, end with some idea of going out. Um, and uh, in, in Luke's version, that's going to come in uh, the book of Acts. And, and this is actually a part of that sending out um, that uh, the disciples, that the apostles uh, engage in where they go and after the Holy Spirit has, has filled them, they go forward. Uh, Peter preaches this, this great sermon, um, gives explanation and a, you know, kind of a, a rational defense of, of what has just happened in, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and, and folks are responding saying, what, what, what do we need to do? What, what, is, what is our response to this good news? Um, and and Peter instructs them to, to repent and to be baptized, and we get this, this glimpse into how this, uh, this good news story is beginning to shape the life of the church. And so we're going to dive into that uh, a little bit later. Um, but first, I, I want to pray, and then we're going to just kind of touch on a couple questions, clarifications that have kind of come up uh, through this series um, before we get uh, to our main uh, scripture text. So uh, as we kind of continue this conversation, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Would you speak through me or despite me? In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to start with a, a couple of uh, clarifications as we, we've talked in the last couple of months uh, about sharing just maybe some, some questions that ha have come up along the way or some things I thought, um, there, there's a, maybe just some clarification that I want to offer uh, as we've talked about um, sharing the kingdom. Uh, we've talked about uh, the phrase that, I, that I've used is alerting people to the universal reign of God in Christ. And uh, sometimes when we talk about um, living out the kingdom, enacting the kingdom, um, giving people glimpses of the kingdom, um, sometimes folks have asked questions uh, like this. Are you saying that it's up to us and our action to bring about the kingdom of God. And uh, this question, I think, uh, is a good question. In, in the last century, at times, there were folks that believed that society was progressing in such a way things keep getting better and better and better, especially you know, before two world wars and you know, genocides and, and all kinds of violence that happened. There was this question, uh, you know, it seems like things are going along really well in Western society and maybe we'll just keep progressing and progressing and progressing until we'll just suddenly be at the kingdom of God. And this will happen through, you know, uh, good political actions and just kind of the, the unfolding of um, human evolution and, and those kinds of things. We'll just somehow arrive at the kingdom of God. 
Um, today, there are others who are trying to enact the kingdom of God through force. They're trying to use uh, their, their power and trying to basically enforce their version uh, of Christianity. And, uh, and so I think this is a really valid question to ask, is it up to you and me in our actions to bring about the kingdom of God? Um, let me give you a simple no and yes. No, I don't think we bring about the fullness of the kingdom through our own actions. It's not up to you and me just doing really good stuff in the world and suddenly we arrive at the kingdom of God. We can't do that on our own apart from uh, the working and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, and following uh, the, the Spirit's movement and, and being attentive to what God is doing in our midst. I don't believe it's up to the church to try to take over society and forcibly enact the reign of God. That's what we're calling today Christian nationalism. And it's been rearing its ugly head in our politics where people want to enforce their version of Christianity on the culture through a political system. And we'll just vote in the right people and they will make Christianity, their version of Christianity, the state religion and enforce that on others. Um, if that were another faith, we would call that Sharia law. But somehow a Christianized Sharia law seems to be okay with some folks. The kingdom of God doesn't work through coercion. Uh, I believe it works better through fascination, through people wondering, what's that about? What's their, what's their life about? Why are they living in that way? I want to know more. We see a glimpse of that in, in the, this uh, scripture reading this morning where, um, you know, the, the, the good news story of Jesus, the folks uh, repenting and confessing and being baptized and start to um, focus in on the teachings of, of the apostles, on the fellowship, on the breaking of bread, uh, of the sharing, this common life. People want to know more. What's that about? And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So it's not through us just deciding, well, now we are building the kingdom through this means. But yes, I believe God chooses to work with humanity in some way. And yes, I do believe that Christians should be demonstrating what the reign of God will look like in its fullness someday when God decides now's the time, when God decides now's the time to bring about the fullness Uh, and I'm leery of using worldly political systems in order to do that, but perhaps even in the political uh, arena, even there Christians might work for a, a more peaceful and right or just society, but, but not through a, a Christianized Sharia law. I do believe that our action or our inaction in the real needs and cries of the world actually has some kind of eternal impact. I believe when we try to, to work for um, a more peaceful society, that, that people see a glimpse of what will one day be made full. 
I believe when we work for things, uh, for our relationship between human beings to be right or to be just, I believe that God somehow uh, has, that there are somehow eternal impacts of working in those ways. Even if our actions are simply planting seeds of the kingdom, I believe those seeds can be watered and have eternal impact. And how God chooses to use that seed planting um, is up to God and up to the movement of His Spirit. Um, so I don't think it's just through us deciding, now, now we're going to start the kingdom of God uh, that we bring about the kingdom. But we are called to live um, as if that world is beginning to take hold even now. Uh, one other clarification I, I want to offer. Uh, a couple times I've used the word missional in this series. Um, and, and some folks have wondered, what's that about? What's, why are we using the, the word missional? Um, what are we talking about? Missional church, uh, using that phrase, is a, is a conversation that's happening in the broader uh, Western church related to ways that the church in the West engages the world that is increasingly post-Christian. Part of this conversation is uh, how the church has often separated what we have tended to call evangelism on one hand and service on the other hand and given preference to one or the other. In fact, our, uh, we had a sermon kind of about this, uh, probably a couple sermons that, that touched on how we've often divided these, these spheres rather than seeing how they are both uh, two sides of the same coin of alerting people to the universal reign of God in Christ. And our, um, our ENS chair, evangelism and service uh, chairperson, reminded me that the name of the ministry team is Evangelism and service, not evangelism or service. Um, so trying to remind me, within our congregation, we're trying to, to hold those two together and, and to announce and demonstrate what the reign of God looks like in our lives and in the world around us. But oftentimes those things have been separated and given preference to one above the other. And you, know, you look around at different parts of the church and some emphasize this and some emphasize that. But missional, that language, is about the way the church is called to be sent out ones or reflecting the sent and sending God. Again, that goes back to the, the beginning of this series where um, uh, we, we talked about how God is constantly sending God's self in the very act of creation, in the sending of the law, in the sending of the Son, in the sending of the Spirit. When Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so we are trying to reflect that dimension of God, that God is, is sending and, and reaching out. But I have found that uh, sometimes updating our language, uh, sometimes in the church, helps folks who aren't followers of Jesus yet, um, and, and maybe they assume they know something of the words that Christians use. And when we kind of tweak some of that language, it seems to open up new doors. But it can also be confusing to those of us in the church who have dealt with a certain lexicon for a long time. We've used certain terms to mean certain things, and when we tweak some of that language, it can be a little confusing. Um, but can also open up new doors.
you have further questions, we'd, we'd love, I'd love to engage in, in further conversation about either of those, those two points. But what I want to spend the rest of the morning looking at is the, this glimpse into uh, the early church and how the apostles take this, this mission of being sent out and how they start to announce and demonstrate and how it impacts the actual lives of those in the early church. So let's look at how did the disciples begin to alert everyone to the universal reign of God in Christ. The first thing they do, after Jesus says, uh, I'm going to send you out, um, whether that comes in, in, in Acts or last week we looked at the Great Commission, go into all the world and, and make disciples. The first thing that they do is wait, is to wait on the Spirit to, to, and to follow the leading of the Spirit. And then in Acts 2, we see the disciples proclaiming the kingdom to people who are familiar with the Hebrew Bible, who had maybe witnessed some of the events of, of Jesus' life, of his death. Um, they're, they're in Jerusalem gathering with these people. And so folks are familiar with a, a little bit of what has just happened. And so the disciples, for them in, in that situation, their, uh, their response to alerting the people uh, to the universal reign of God through Christ is to announce, is to announce, is to remind them uh, uh, of what the prophets have said, uh, to remind them of what they've just experienced in, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to announce to them that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that, that we've all been waiting for. Jesus is the Christ, and this is good news. And people are excited. This is wonderful. This is great. We've been waiting for, for centuries for the Messiah. And if Jesus is really it, now what is our response to that? Even here, the, the life and the ministry of Jesus was familiar. This audience had seen and heard. They had seen uh, glimpses of the kingdom demonstrated in Jesus' life and ministry. And so how did this Good news. How did this, this idea that these uh, apostles and the disciples uh, were, were being sent out, how did this shape the life of the community of faith? We're told that they committed themselves to growing in their faith, to a, a nurturing, to a, a deepening understanding of what uh, Jesus' life and what his teachings uh, meant for them. They committed to the fellowship of the community, gathering with one another. Um, it, we're, we get these glimpses that they didn't, they, they gathered in the temple to worship, they gathered in homes to worship. Like, I mean, these people were experiencing all kinds of wonderful, amazing things uh, that the good news story meant for them. And, and they couldn't help but rejoice and, and praise and worship and proclaim and pray and give thanks and confess and repent and all of that stuff. And they couldn't just wait for, you know, their Saturday or their, their Sunday time to worship. And so they'd gather and, you know, I imagine some of those gatherings were planned and probably some of those gatherings weren't planned. Just their response to what God was doing. 
We're told that they uh, continued um, to enact wonders and signs, fulfilling words from uh, the prophet Joel, but also imitating Jesus. We're told that they had all things in common, literally enacting the words of Jesus and caring for the physical needs of one another. They cared about how life was going for one another. What are your physical needs? How can we as a community of faith help to to meet those needs, to nurture you so that we can worship and we can proclaim and we can demonstrate all together? comes following the great commission or the sending of the apostles. As you go, make disciples. As they are sent, they are growing in faith. They are shaping a beautiful community filled with fellowship, worship gatherings, and amazing, amazing things that are happening. And others are looking in on their life and want to know more. What's this about? Why are you living in this way? And I think in the, in the best examples of the church down through history, people are looking in from the outside going, this is really awesome. What's, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Why are, you, why are you caring about these people that are sick? Why are you caring about these people that are poor? Why do you care uh, about these people experiencing uh, a wholeness to life? Why do you, why do you care about um, people experiencing uh, a shalom, a, a peace in life? Why are you living this different way? What is it about this Jesus? Folks in the church get to say, Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. He's the fulfillment of our hopes and dreams. He came to show us what life can really be like. He came to show us a glimpse of the kingdom. He came to to pay for our sins, to release us from that brokenness, to, to free us from the shame and the guilt that we've been carrying around our entire lives and to restore our relationship with God. But we find out that that also means restoring our relationships with with one another and with the, the world around us. This is beautiful, wonderful news. A church uh, thinker that, that um, does a lot of this conversation about um, what does it look like for the church to be faithful and minister in, in this time and, and this age? Uh, Michael Frost has uh, suggested that uh, a church does a few primary things. These are some specific things that make a church a church. A church worships. We gather to worship. We gather for discipleship and and nurturing a, a, a deepening faith. And a church is also involved in mission. Not just the the old thinking about missionaries where we send people to other countries. That might be a part of what it means to be a missional church. But it also means um, connecting with our community, connecting with neighbors and, and coworkers, right? And in a perfect church, and in a perfect world, 
You would have all three, and each one would drive and motivate the others in a perfect church and in a perfect world. We got, we're, Spring Creek's a pretty awesome place. I'm not sure that we've reached perfection yet. Often in a modern church, there is an emphasis on one. In the American church, that one is usually worship. And hear me out. Worship is a great thing. It is part of what makes a church a church. That we come and worship and praise God, that we confess, that we um, experience forgiveness, that that we uh, proclaim the glory of God, that we give thanks for what God is doing. Worship is important. It is critical to what it means to be a church. But often what has happened in the West and in uh, the American church is that we've so emphasized that one. And this has evolved into worship being the thing and sometimes the only thing. And so what church means is we gather on a Sunday morning for an hour. And this is the whole of our church experience. And that, I, and, you know, um, that worship experience can range anywhere from you know, uh, lights and smoke and, and band to you know, uh, orchestra and symphony, you know, like style and, uh, of music and age of congregation doesn't really have anything to do with it. I can find churches that are, are all about worship that are kind of across that age and music selection spectrum. Okay, so it's not a, it's, don't make it about that. But often, worship has become the thing and the only thing. And the focus of the church's life becomes about producing a Sunday morning service. And it doesn't really matter if those people uh, come on Sunday are also meeting together at other times for a deepening of faith. It doesn't matter um, how they are trying to uh, seek the kingdom of God in their daily lives. As long as they come on this hour, uh, hour and a half, being generous, maybe some too. As long as they come on this day of the week, nothing else matters. Their ethics and their business, the way they're, you know, they, they're organizing their families, uh, the way they're interacting with, with the poor, uh, the way that they're interacting with um, substance abuse and, and those other things, that, that doesn't matter. They're here on Sunday morning. It's all that matters. And it doesn't much matter if they're meeting one another's needs, let alone the needs of those around them. And it doesn't really matter if anyone outside the church is experiencing the reign of God. But of course, they're invited to come on Sunday morning. Sometimes we've made worship the only thing. Frost suggests that an emphasis on being a part of the mission of God might actually engage the other parts of what it means to be a church. And at least it's um, kind of tipping the balance back towards center maybe. To focus on 
the way we engage the world around us. If our goal, if our mission as the church is to alert people to the reign of God, if we are seeking the movement of the Spirit in the places that we live and the places that we learn, the places that we shop, the places that we do business, the places that we recreate, if we're seeking the movement of the Spirit, and if we are trying to incarnate uh, the presence of God, that is to, to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus in those places, if we're serving in a cruciform or a, a Christ-like way, if we are motivated by love, abiding with people, staying with people, demonstrating and proclaiming the kingdom of God, we have questions about any of that? I just preached a sermon series back from January. We've covered most of those. If we live in those ways, then we might see lives being changed, folks being added to their number. We might experience some amazing, miraculous things like people being rescued from violence, abuse, addiction, narcissism, materialism. We might see the poor having their needs met and the rich learning to lighten their burden. And if all that happens, if we lived in those ways where we are seeking the kingdom of God and we want to alert everyone to the universal reign of God in Christ, if that happens, there's going to be some real praise and worship that we've got to get together for. Not just on Sunday mornings. There's probably going to be some impromptu hallelujahs and praise God uh, at home and at work and in other places. And there's going to be others who are seeking a deeper growing or nurturing of faith. Think about what is God's mission for the church in the world? How do we announce and demonstrate what it means for Christ to be Lord over all? In our day and in our age, that probably means recovering a sense of adventure. Some mourn the loss of the way things were. Or perhaps we look at the way things were through rose-tinted glasses. Um, I was thinking about this um, this week. Um, I've really enjoyed looking at the, um, the poster boards down in the gathering area with some wonderful old pictures, and I've had a few people uh, grab me and say, look, I found, I found this person, I found that person. Do you know who this is? Look a little, some of you, some of you look very much the same. Some of you look a little different from some pictures, you know, that are 30, 40 years old. Um, but it's, so it's really neat to look at those pictures and to look back at uh, family members and to hear those stories and, and to hear some of your reflections of those of you that have been a part of this congregation for, for a long time. It's really awesome 
to hear those stories. Let me caution you. There is a danger in putting those up too. And some of you here, I hear some, some laughing. That we look back at those pictures and we go, if only we could get back there. If only we could do that again. But that was a different time and a different age. Okay? Celebrate the wonderful stories. Retell the stories, please, over and over and over again of how uh, God's faithfulness has shown up in this congregation over and over and over and over. But we also need to have a sense of adventure for where God is leading us in the future. And right, wrong, or otherwise, the, the, our society around us provides the church an opportunity to recover our original mission, to tell people, to share with people, to demonstrate and to announce the lordship of Christ. Because there's lots of folks around us who don't even know who Jesus is, who don't know what uh, the kingdom of God is about. There's a, a book I've slowly been making my way through called Canoeing the Mountains uh, by Todd Bolsinger. And what he does in this, in this book is he traces the story of uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition, which, um, if you don't remember history class, um, they had the goal uh, in, in the early days of the United States of finding the Northwest Passage. It was this magical body of water that, that um, Europeans and Americans assumed must be there that connected the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. And, and the Lewis and Clark expedition had the job of finding this Northwest Passage because based on European geography, we assume it has to be there. And so they start up the Missouri River. What happens? They get to the end of the Missouri River, and there's no sign of the Pacific Ocean. Instead, what faces them is the Rocky Mountains. They had come prepared with their canoes and their supplies to find this all-water passage. And they get to the source of the Missouri and find out the canoes no longer serve a purpose. Or, or they are going to have to reimagine a purpose for them. The canoes will do no good through the Rocky Mountains. And so they have a choice to go on an adventure, an unplanned for adventure. They're going to have to take their, their supplies and their knowledge and the things that they have brought them this far, and they're going to have to figure out uh, their, their mission in a new territory. They're going to have to repurpose those canoes because it's going to be really silly to just like drag these canoes as they are through the Rocky Mountains. They have to engage a new sense of adventure. Faced with new and unexpected obstacles, how would the expedition adapt? So I wonder... What canoes have helped us in the past 
to navigate familiar courses. And what canoes and supplies need to be left behind because they no longer serve to accomplish the mission through this new uncharted territory. And of our supplies to complete our mission, which is, again, to alert people to the universal reign of God through Christ, which of those old supplies makes sense to carry into the mountains And what needs to be left behind? The last question that maybe uh, you've asked or wondered. Why did we spend January, February, and half of March on this idea of sending? We did it as a reminder of the mission of God. And naming some of the challenges that we have been experiencing in the church and in our society. We have these awesome, wonderful stories of 175 years at Spring Creek. And that is something that we are going to be celebrating throughout this year. Now more than perhaps any time in Spring Creek's history, things in the world are shifting and changing. If we are to celebrate again in 25 years, we will need to recapture a sense of adventure as we engage in the mission of God in our world. Genuinely seeking the movement of the Spirit learning to demonstrate and announce the reign of God in our individual lives and in our shared life together, learning to listen to the hurts of our community and to the heartbeat of God for our community, naming the canoes and the equipment that served us well on the familiar rivers on the map and taking that equipment with us that will serve well in rocky, uncharted territory in the future. What does it look like for us to continue to be faithful to God's mission for the church in the world today? Our closing hymn this morning a familiar one to many, is renew your church. This morning, as we continue to pray and think and seek the movement of the Spirit to reclaim that sense of adventure, to listen to God's movement for what God is doing in this congregation, in in the broader church, and and to regain that sense of uh, living out God's mission in this place, in this day, and in this age. And so may this continue to be our prayer. Renew your church. Would you stand and turn in the, the blue hymnal to 363 or look on the screen as we sing together.